The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. If you would, turn with me to Haggai, the book of Haggai. I'm going to give you plenty of time to find it. One of the minor prophets. While you're going there, I'll just kind of introduce this topic to you. First of all, I just want to say this. Cheer up. Cheer up, things are going to get better, all right? That is, that is the theme of this message. Cheer up, things will get better. Have you been discouraged lately? Any of y'all been discouraged? I know that I have. I know we all have experienced discouragement. Any of you been afraid? <laughs> I know that um, now the, the news story is that there's some new variant in the virus, you know, Omicron or something. You know, if you're listening to this in the future on this recording, we may be to Omega by now on the, on the variants. I don't know. But, you know, the, the reality of the situation is cheer up. Things will get better, right? You ever heard this? <clears throat> just, just wait. And Brother Buddy, he kills me when, when he says this. Just wait. Just wait until the new wears off, right? Just wait till your taxes come due. Just wait till you're 30. Or just wait till you're 40. Or just wait till you're 50 or 60 or 70. Right? Just wait till you have to start getting your physicals. Right? All right? It's beautiful things to look forward to in your life. So don't get too encouraged. We want you to stay discouraged. So just wait. Just wait till your body starts aching. Right? You know, I'm in trouble then. (laughs) I, I have aches already. Just wait until you get your first diagnosis and then you have to be on medication for the rest of your life, right? Just wait till your hairline starts to recede or you start outgrowing your pant sizes, right? These are all, all great things we have to look forward to, everybody. Or as Brother Buddy says, just wait till you have kids, right? Just wait till you have kids or just wait until they're teenagers or just wait till you have to get insurance on their cars, right? Just wait till those boys start putting holes in the sheetrock, or just wait till those girls start dating. It's going to get worse. Everything's going to get worse in the future. How about this? Just wait until all of this garbage in this world is all gone away, and just wait till you are in the presence of your Savior in joy forevermore. How about that? Let's just wait for that. Amen. Let's not be discouraged. Things are going to get better. You've been depressed. You've been afraid. The Lord tells us this. He says, He has not given us a spirit of fear. What has He given us a spirit of? Of power and of love and of a sound mind. Wow, what, do you see a shortage of those things today? <laughs> you see a shortage of power and of love and of sound minds? I mean, we have lost our minds in this world, people. And, and it certainly has been a, a place of fear, a place of doubt, not, a, not much love going around out there, right? So much of what we're experiencing and seeing and dealing with could all be avoided with just a little bit of love, just a little bit, right? But there's no love. There's no sound mind out there anymore. That's our job. That's our job as God's people is, is to be those lights in the world. 
Or what about this? <laughs> Have you been afflicted with a case of the used to be? Man, I, I used to be really fit. I used to be really fast. I used to be really smart, right? Or the back in the good old days, or back in my day, right? Back in the good old days, this church would be filled up with people. Back in the good old days, you know, you can, capital punishment. You know, back in the good old days, fill in the blank, right? You know, I, I have found myself being there. <laughs> you know, I used to hear my dad or my granddad or somebody say that kind of stuff. And I was like, man, I'm never going to be that way. I'm, I'm, I'm just like it. I'm just like it. You know, I haven't, I haven't seen... I haven't seen a lot in my life, right? I'm not that old. I haven't seen a lot. I don't have a lot of experiences like many of you do. But I've seen enough to know this, <laughs> that, that back in my day, things used to be better. I could, I could say that, right? That years ago, things seemed to be better. But you know what? That's a curse, right? That is a lie. Because what it does is it discourages you, discourages all the people around you into believing that the best is behind us, right? That it's only, it's only going to be downhill from here. Isn't that sad? Child of God, if you're listening to me tonight, I want you to know this. Regardless of how deep your valley is that you're in, or I don't care how dark it is, I don't care how, how pitiful you feel down there in the midst of that dark valley, and I don't care how glorious and how high the mountaintop that you're on is, Regardless, it's going to get better. <laughs> it's going to get better in the future. It's not all downhill from here. I mean, it's all uphill from here, guys. It's only going to get better. So in Haggai 2, or Haggai, yes, Haggai chapter 2, and we'll begin reading there in verse 1, I really want us to zoom in on the curse of the good old days. Because I've even found myself here, even in the past few weeks, thinking about the situation we're in, thinking, thinking back to the beginning of, of revival here at this church, and I, I've, been, I've been getting stuck in the curse of back in the good old days, right? Back when multiple people were joining a day, and, and you know, Sister Lee is, is practically cannonballing into the baptistry, right? Back in those days. You can really discourage yourself when you start thinking that way. In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? You know, what was going around is that as these people, this, this older generation after captivity, they're here rebuilding the temple that Solomon had built. And these are people who were old enough to have seen the former temple, the temple that Solomon built. And they're saying, and they're discouraging all the people who are building. They're saying, this is nothing like it used to be. It used to be so much prettier. <laughs> it used to be so good when mom and dad would bring me here and we would worship God. In this place, it used to be so much better. The glory of the, of the earlier house is so much better than this one. 
Now, what a discouragement. What a discouragement to you that if you've, if you've never known that, you didn't know the old house, and all you know is what you were putting in, the labor in right now, into this new temple that they're building. And then, and then somebody comes along and says, well, this is nothing like it used to be. Man, that'll just suck the wind right out of your sails, won't it? <laughs> and this, by the way, I, I know this seems to be a comment on, on older people. This in no, in no way is picking on any particular age of people. We're all susceptible uh, to the good old day mentality, right? Uh, verse, uh, verse 4, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. He said, don't get caught up in whether it was better in the old days or whether it was better now. He said, don't get caught up in that. Just do the work. According to the word that I covenanted you uh, with you, when ye came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. He says to all you naysayers, to all you people out there that thought that the old house, that the old ways were better, that, that the good old days were better, he says, I will show you. <laughs> I will show you that in this new house that you're building for me, that the desire of nations shall come. That is talking ex expressly about Jesus Christ in the flesh coming down, and he would, he would walk in that temple. Isn't that amazing? And that dear brother there, I cannot remember his name for the life of me right now, who the Lord said, you will not see death until you see the Messiah come, right? And he sees him, this little baby, come to the temple. And can you imagine the blessing? I mean, in, in Solomon's temple, yeah, the, the Shekinah glory of God may have come down and visited and that cloud upon the mercy seat, but I can't even fathom the beauty of the Lamb of God, the Savior Himself coming in and stepping His feet on the stones that these men were laying. Right. But yet, but yet people were saying to them, this is nothing like it, what it used to be. People may say to you, you may even say to yourself, the kingdom of God here is nothing like it used to be. It's nothing like it used to be, or, you know, Back when I was a kid, or back when, you know, years ago, hundreds of years ago, when everybody was Christian, right? It's nothing like it used to be. Well, child of God, Jesus Christ himself still visits us, does he not? Amen. Is this place not still worth the glory of him? Amen. And not just this building, <laughs> but his, his kingdom, which is within you, within your heart. Have you felt Jesus visit you? One day, one day He will come and visit you. One day He will come to take us home to be with Him. Praise God. Just wait until that happens. Just wait until we put away all the garbage and the filth of this world. 
and we, and we bask in the glory of Him and in the joy of His presence. Man, can you imagine the delight that you feel? I can't, I can't tell you the delights that I feel. I can't describe it any time I've ever made my mother or father happy and pleased with me. Right? To see them joyful at something that I have done and beholding me, that's all it would take for me. You know, they didn't have to spank me as much as they spanked my brothers, right? Because for me as the baby, as the youngest, I know, I know my brothers, if they were listening, they would say it's because I was spoiled. But I will say this. I will say that they, they spanked me a few times, yes. But they didn't have to spank me as much because their approval meant everything to me, right? Them being upset with me broke my heart. Them being joyful at me made me rise above the mountains, right? I can't even imagine beholding the God of glory as he looks on me with joy in his face. That's what you are waiting for, child of God. That's what is in your future. <laughs> you will see him with delight on his face as he beholds you. And can you imagine? Can you imagine us then getting discouraged about our future? Getting discouraged about how dark the times seem to be. I don't care how dark it seems to be in your life. I mean, I do. Don't get me wrong. It's just a, a figure of speech. I don't care how bad it is. It's going to get better. Okay? How about this? Have you ever felt alone? I, I joke about this. I've said this before. That, you know, the nighttime when you're, when you, uh, maybe awake from sleep or when you're having deep thoughts in your mind, I feel like that's probably the loneliest time you can experience. And I've, I've had times where I'm thinking about something. I'm thinking about, uh, about deep and heavy things. And then my, my sweet companion, she leaves me. She goes ahead and she falls asleep. And then, and then when Meredith is gone, right, <laughs> then it's just you and your failures and your thoughts all alone before God. That's a pretty lonely place. And you can easily get discouraged and say, Lord, I'm the only one that's trying. I'm the only one that's doing right. By the way, if you're saying that, you're wrong. <laughs> or I'm the only one that's really pushing through and making an effort. What about Brother Elijah? Right? He thought he was the only one left. And I could see how you feel that way. That, that battle on the mountaintop when he was faced with hundreds of people against him and it was just him and the Lord. You know, when Elijah ran away there, despairing for his own life, discouraged, and he comes to God and he says, Lord, I'm the only one left. So discouraged. That, you want to know a tool that Satan uses? One of his most effective tools is to make you feel like you're alone, right? He doesn't even have to make you alone. He can just make you feel like you are. And then before you know it, you don't have any hope left to keep marching on. You know, he can separate you. That's a technique also. You know, the, the wolves that are hunting the sheep, right? What do they do? They don't just attack the, the, the whole flock. They begin to separate people out and they get the lamb off by itself and that's when they attack, right? 
Well, if you find yourself drifting away from the kingdom of God and you're one of those outliers, right? It would not be surprising if you get attacked. If you feel alone, if you, if you truly are alone, then come back in. Amen. Come back in. That's what we're here for. That's, right. That's why we're here together as blood-bought children of God. We, we have a blood-bought privilege to serve one another and love one another, encourage one another. But if you're like Elijah, you know, the problem with Elijah was not that he was alone, is that he forgot that God had preserved 7,000 other people. You know, there was a time when I was in high school, I'm, I'm sure many of you have experienced this, and I was in uh, going through classes and everything. I sat there and I was like, I, you know, I'm alone. There's nobody else out here that cares about the Lord. I felt utterly alone. And you may have been feeling the same thing. You, you may have felt the same thing in your life. You know what's so amazing is that if, if you would have told me, John Morgan, don't lose heart. There are 7,000 other people just like you thinking they're alone, but they're not. That would have lifted my spirits, right? Actually, first I would have said, I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe that. I don't buy that. You are not alone, child of God. Amen. God has preserved a people. And you may, just be, uh, you may just be in good company with other people who feel the exact same way. I, I, I said this, I believe I was at Five Mile when I used this example. There I was talking about being light in the world. I remember being in law school class. It was family law, which you would think when you were signing up for that class, oh, that sounds like a wonderful, it's going to be family-friendly, family-oriented. No way. <laughs> family law is all about divorces, custody disputes. It's all about how you know, gay marriage works and everything, about all these weird surrogacy relationships and dark things, right? <laughs> And, and the agenda that was being pushed by the professor was very much uh, left-wing, right? And I was, feeling, I was feeling in darkness, and I was sitting there thinking, am I alone in here? And despairing. And then, and then one, one of my friends spoke up, and he said, now, I may be about to be public enemy number one, but and he just spoke exactly what he believed on the topic. He was not afraid. And then it made me think, well, there's another that feels the exact same way that I do. That's how easy it is to be a light to somebody. Right. You know, what's convicting to me is that if I, if I would have not spoken up and he had not had spoken up, we wouldn't have known about each other, right. you know. Let's be lights. Let's be encouragements to one another. God said in the very beginning when he made Adam, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. Now, I know that that was specifically talking about that level of companionship between a man and a woman. But also, it gives us some insight into how God made us, right? He made us as social beings. He himself is a social being, right? He is a triune God. He's not just, uh, he's not just a lone wolf out there. He is a triune God, a three-person Godhead. And so we ought to be fellowshipping with one another. And I, I can't even begin to unravel 
are to estimate the damage that this pandemic has had yeah. on the lives of God's people. Yeah. Right. Not, I mean, of their, of their walk with the Lord, sure, but even their mental and emotional health. I mean, you are not designed to go through this life on an island separated from your people, separated from your loved ones. And we were trying to visit somebody in the nursing home, was that last weekend or so? And, and we were not allowed to go in because you've got to have these, you've got to schedule a visit and all these, all these uh, regulations. And it got me to thinking about those poor people there. Those, those poor folks sitting in there wondering if their family has abandoned them. And the damage that they have, they have undergone because they have not had that socialization and been with family, that's not how it's designed to be. That is not how it's designed to be. And I pray, I pray that, that the next time that shutdowns or the next variant or the next three variants or whatever that comes out, that we hold it together, <laughs> that we have sound minds, and that we do not neglect the fellowship together. Yeah. It is so important. It's not, it's not just that the Lord requires us to, to pray and, and to read His Word. He wants us to have each other's fellowship. Amen. If we do not have that, we begin to wither away. Amen. Imagine having a, a, a vine that's just detached from all the rest of the vine. It's not going to do a thing, right? You are going to dry up in your faith away from everybody else. Go over to Numbers 11. Moses felt alone. Numbers 11, and we'll look at verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I uh, conceived all these people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? If any of you brothers called to the ministry begin to feel this way, discouraged at the work that you were having to do and laboring after the flock, I want you to remember what, what the Lord says here. What the Lord does for Moses. The Lord sends Moses help, okay? The Lord does give him some people to share the load with him. But I want us to remember this. He also says this, Whence should I have flesh to give all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. He says, I can't carry all these people alone. He feels so alone. 
You know, one of the problems Moses is experiencing right now is that he is way overestimating his responsibility. <laughs> right. He, he, the image that he is giving back to God is as if he is carrying all these people in his arms. May we never get that high and mighty <laughs> that we forget who God is. Who is it that carried them out of Egypt? It was God that carried them out of Egypt. Who was it that delivered Moses even, that carried him, that ark of the bulrushes, and saved his life? It was God, was it not? Was it not God that delivered the people and that, and that watered them and fed them all the days of, of their journey in the wilderness? I was just reading this morning or, or the day or so before that when they got into Canaan's land, the manna stopped. After, after 40-some years, the Lord was raining down manna every day except for the seventh, every day for their needs. And he got them exactly right where he needed them to be. Man, I've experienced that in my own life. Have you? <laughs> I'll tell you the story again. When uh, you know, Meredith was having to support me through law school, right? Meredith was working hard, and I was, I was uh, just uh, studying, right? And we were basically living on savings. And it was like a sinking boat, right? We were, we were bailing it out, but we were still taking on more water than what, than what we could bail out. But you know, you know what's funny? <laughs> you know, I took the bar exam, and, and, and that, all that studying for the bar was done. And literally, the next day, I had a, I had a check that bounced for like an overdraft of a dollar. We had, we had run out. We had plum run out just in time. You can talk about the Lord's deliverance. That is manna that once, once you got into Canaan's land, he cut it off, right? The Lord knows what he's doing, right? He, he, is, he has grown my faith so much in, in, in providing for me my daily bread. Not my weekly, not my yearly, not my uh, lifely uh, bread, right? But my daily bread. We're depending on him all the time. It grows your faith to walk hand in hand with him like that. But it was God that delivered them, not Moses. So let's not get discouraged and feel like we're all alone. Let's go over to Psalm 30, and I'm going to begin to wrap this up. The 30th Psalm. You know, if you're, if you're doing pretty well in life right now, if you feel like you're on a mountaintop and things are just going hunky-dory in your life, you know what, what most people usually say to you in that situation is they say, buckle up, it's about to get, it's about to get bumpy, right? It's about to get worse. Well, that's discouraging, <laughs> right? Or sometimes, you know, we, we encourage ourselves with this. If we're having a, having a rough time, things are going pretty bad, we say, well, there's somebody out there that's, that's in worse shape than I'm in. Well, that's all, that's all you know, well and good until you are that person. <laughs> you are that person that there's nobody worse off than you, right? Well, what I would say to you, regardless of you're the lowest person in this, on this world, right? Or if you are doing the best, you're the happiest you've ever been, you're doing great. 
Either way, the best is yet to come in your life, right? I mean, you've got only good things to look forward to. Now, in this life, yeah, sure, things may get worse, things may get better, things will ebb and flow. You will have seasons of refreshing, you'll have night seasons also. We read this so many times in Scripture. This is just common biblical wisdom that things will change. It's not always going to be bad. It's not always going to be good for you in this life. But as Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, then we are of all men most miserable, right? right. If your only hope is that your, things are just going to get better and maybe the, the stock market will turn around and things will go up for you for a while, if that's your only hope, then you don't really have much hope. But on the authority of the Word of God, I can say this. There's not many guarantees that I can make, right? It's, it's hardwired as a lawyer to not do that, right? But I can guarantee you this. When, when Christ is involved, the best is always yet to come, right? I mean, can you... Can you remember some of the most glorious times of feeling His presence? And man, it just makes all the cares and the burdens just melt away. Well, can you imagine, for the first time ever, stepping foot into His physical presence, seeing those scars that He, that he wounded Himself for you with, seeing those hands that flung the stars out, and as they, as they hold on to you, I, I would say the best is yet to come, right? <laughs> I mean, there's a good day coming, child of God. Yeah. Psalm 30 and verse 5 says this, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You know, I, the very best that you get in this life, the very best encouragement and joy that you feel is just a song in the midst of the night, right? The Lord does give us that. He gives us songs in the night. But this whole life, this whole life that you're living right now is one long night season. But there is a morning coming, a morning so bright and so glorious that it is going to far exceed your, your greatest dreams of what it would be like to be in glory, to be with Him. You know, I'm excited. I'm excited to see my granddaddy that's passed away. I'm excited to see my other granddaddy, Brother Harold. <laughs> I'm excited to see these people that I love and that I miss. But you know, Brother Chris has said it many times, it's not going to be heaven because they're there, right? I, I tend to think I'm going to be excited to see them, but I, I tend to think that on seeing my Savior, all of that is going to be just meaningless to me. <laughs> That's who I'm going to want to see. That's who I'm going to run to screaming to lay my hand, my head on his breast. Joy cometh in the morning. I've shared that with you before, as I, I believe I tried to talk about songs in the night. And what, what a, a beautiful thing the morning sunrise can be when you've had a long, dark night. Right. I told you about that time I had that tummy ache. 
that tummy ache when I was a little boy. And it was, I spent hours pacing the floor, praying that the Lord would take that stomach ache away from me. And he, he never did until the morning came, right? Now, if I had just known, see, you learn so much in life. If I would have known then that all I would have had to have done to have avoided that, stu- that, that stomach ache was just not eat like three boxes of hot tamales, right? <laughs> right? That cinnamon snack and I needed to drink more water. You learn things in life, right? But nonetheless, that was a dark night for me. And, and it was, I was begging for the morning to come. I know all of you are laughing because you've experienced far worse in your life, I'm sure. Dark nights are actually dark. But for me, that was pretty rough. When you're, when you're a little kid, that's pretty tough. And when I saw those morning rays breaking over the horizon, it was as if that stomach ache, I don't know if the Lord healed it then or if he just caused me to think of other things, but it just dissolved away. There's a morning coming where the little tummy aches of life are all going to dissolve away. And praise God, <laughs> praise God, regardless of what you're dealing with, if it's cancer, if it's death in the family, if it's coronavirus, if it's a downturn of the economy, if it's whatever, fill in the blank. Children of God can experience some really, really tough times. And I do not mean to belittle what you're going through. But I will say this, when that morning comes, it'll be nothing more than a tummy ache. <laughs> All this light affliction, let's turn there, Second uh, Corinthians. I want to read this to you, Second Corinthians chapter 4. It says this, and we're in the middle of the context, 2 Corinthians 4 and 17, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I love the way he describes that. It's not just, it's not just this ephemeral glory, right? There is a weight to that glory, right? It is a heavy glory. It is good. And he, and he describes, he just summarizes all of the suffering of all of your life and puts it into this little tiny box of your light affliction. I know, I know many of you have, have suffered much in this life. Many of you have experienced death of, of uh, spouses, death of loved ones. You've lost Fathers and mothers and, and children. You've had to face many different, uh, many different uh, presidencies, many different um, trying times in your life. But he just says it's a light affliction. Praise God. Now it does not feel light in the middle of it. But praise God that one day, one day we'll be sitting there together in glory and we'll be saying, man, that was nothing. I can't even hardly remember that, right? 
I couldn't, I mean, I can't even remember which one was worse when I got diagnosed for cancer or that tummy ache that I had when I was 10. You know, it was all nothing now in comparison. Can you even fathom? Can you even fathom looking on God and seeing His smiling face look back at you? Oh, child of God, it gives me chills to think about Him in that way. Think about being there with you as we sing to Him. Man, the singing service tonight was so beautiful. As Brother Buddy leaned up to me and he said, don't mess this up. <laughs> he said, don't quench the Spirit now. Right? <laughs> and, and, and truly, the Lord was here. What a glorious thing. Can you imagine how good it will be when I'm not messing up the song service with my voice? <laughs> Can you imagine what it's going to be like when, when the Lord is there and He has relieved us of the shackles of these bodies? And we could sing to Him and belt it out, not have to worry about our throats getting scratchy or running out of air to breathe or running out of the light of day. Because He will be there with us. Praise God. You know, He created music. I just tend to believe he's going to be singing with us. Now, that's speculation, but he takes a lot of joy in music. I'll say that. Now, Romans 8, and we'll close here. I don't believe I could live with myself if I did not go to this passage. Romans 8. And I'm not scared of it. Verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now we know this. We've said this so many times. Not every single thing that happens to you is something that God is working with in order to, to further His purposes and make you better. Right? You know, there, there are many stories that we all know of, prayer requests on our prayer list that we have been praying for, whether it's cancer, whether it's car wrecks, whether it's, you know, suicide, things like that. There are very serious things that God is not uh, chuckling as He stirs up this big old pot of, of nuisance and, and wickedness to splash on His people, Right? But I will say this, God is a master. He is a master at delivering you through, through terrible things in such a way that strengthens you, okay? I firmly believe that. What things is he really talking about? For whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. What shall we say, what shall we then say to these things? We see exactly what things He's talking about. He's talking about these things. 
Now this is the ultimate trump card. If no other verse, if no other uh, uh, person can encourage you, if, if, if you can't find encouragement in thinking about the Lord, this is your trump card. Okay, you can always play this one. And what is that card? We win in the end. Praise God, we win in the end. Because of His work, because of His love, because of His election for you, you will be there with Him in glory. Praise God. I don't know what's scary about that doctrine. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what's so bad about that doctrine. People say that it's, well, it's so exclusive. You know, it excludes people. It's almost as if you primitive Baptists are saying that we have a club that only we are allowed to be in and nobody else can be a part of it. That is not true. That is not true. This is a doctrine of inclusion. This is a doctrine that doesn't, it's not based off of your works. It's not based off of where you were born. It's not based off of your intellectual capabilities to understand. It is based on the love of God, period. Right. So it's so ironic that people would say that that doctrine seems so exclusive. It's the only inclusive doctrine. Every other doctrine would seek to exclude you based on your works and acceptance, your works and perseverance, your works in doing everything right, your work in getting the gospel to somebody, or your work in then understanding the gospel. Man, that leaves out a whole lot of people. What about the people who've never heard the gospel? What about the people who, who haven't been born? All those millions, 70-something million babies that have been aborted in this nation in the lifetimes of many of you since the 70s. What about those people who never had a chance to accept the gospel? What about those people with intellectual disabilities who cannot comprehend a concept like that? Now, you look at this and you say, this is inclusive teaching right here. That your God is not hindered by your abilities. He's not hindered by your disadvantages in society. He's not hindered by your language. He's not hindered by your mind. He loves His people and will not be denied their presence and glory. That is your trump card. You can play that anytime you need to. To get yourself out of discouragement. You know, here lately, I've been watching some um, YouTube videos of, of past football games. <clears throat> you know, that's, that's fun. It's really good because when it, like, like the Iron Bowl, you know, last night, and it's like, it's flipping, flopping, and you don't know who's going to win, and there's so much anxiety in it, you know? It's nice to watch a game where you know who's going to win, right? <laughs> you know who's going to win in the end of that one. And you're like, oh, no, it's fourth and long. There's no way we're going to make it. And then you say, oh, yeah, we win in the end. I forgot, right? That's the trump card you have here, right? It's like we're watching a replay of what God has already done. You get discouraged with how dark it seems. You, you already know the result. You already know that it's a billion to nothing and God won, right? <laughs> I mean... There's your trump card. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 
Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Can you imagine that? He says, who is against you? God is the one who's justified you. He's going to be there with you, even, even in the face of your own discouragement and the lies that you tell yourself. Maybe Satan is helping you along with that. I'm, I'm the master of discouraging myself. I can say, why would the Lord love me? Why would he do this? Why would he go all the way to the cross for me? Right. It is God that, that paid that price for you. He is the one that justified you. Nobody is going to come up and convince him otherwise. Not even you. <laughs> Praise God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? We'll skip down to verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from what? From the justice of God? No, from the love. From the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You think that, that your sins are just too bad for Him? You think that, as I said, I was going to talk about grace and about how big it is? I'll just, I'll just a little spoiler alert. His grace is so big, you can't find the end of it, right? <laughs> if you are one of His that He paid for on the cross, there is nothing, there is nothing you can do to remove yourself out of His hand. Now that is a God of love. That is a God who doesn't just, who doesn't just say He loves you, but He pursues you, and He gets you, and He brings you to glory. You know, in the light of that, it really convicts me that I would ever be discouraged. You know, in the light of such a powerful and loving God who will not be denied my presence. And I don't, I don't say that to, to sound prideful. I'm proud of what He did. I'm proud of what He did for me. And I have proof of His love for me and the fact that I love Him back, right? You don't have to be ashamed of being proud of what he did for you? God forbid. But I am comforted in the fact that he will not be denied my presence. And so why then should I have a long face in the midst of this dark place, right? I pray that if you see me being discouraged, you might, you might come up to me and say, cheer up. <laughs> Things are going to get better. We win in the end. Amen. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.